Welcome to BFR Radio, a podcast dedicated to all things blood flow restriction training. This podcast is proudly sponsored by the BFR.co, where if you want to buy your own BFR cuffs, access online BFR training programs, increase your own BFR knowledge with the accredited BFR.co course, or you want more information about this type of training, this is your one place to go. And I'm your host, Dr. Chris Gavilio. Absolutely excited to have a good friend of mine, dual Olympian, silver medalist, Australia's first ever sliding medalist at any Winter Olympic Games and World Cup Series champion, Jackie Narricott. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you, face. Likewise. So this conversation will be very comfortable between us because if anyone doesn't know, we've been working together for, we're trying to work it out at somewhere around seven years, quite some time. And I quite enjoy this working relationship. Jackie's very easygoing, very hardworking, extremely hardworking. I still remember a day you drove all the way into the gym in Brisbane, absolutely exhausted. And I had to tell you to go home. It's it almost tears that you'd come all the way in to go home, but almost tears that you were happy that you didn't have to train. What an honor, firstly, to have a friend, but Australia's first ever sliding winter Olympian. Before we get into the world of BFR, just tell us a little bit about the experience, about the time leading up, because what an event. Oh, Beijing was surreal. I think it's probably the best way to describe it. Like, it doesn't feel like it happened, I think, because it was COVID. And there was no real build-up with Tokyo being 12 months later. There wasn't a lot of build-up. There wasn't any fans. It was all very much chilled, which is a weird way to, weird way to, to describe an Olympics. But it was. Like, there was the dining hall, which we didn't go to because we figured if we're going to get COVID, it'll be in the dining hall. Basically just avoided the entire population of our little tiny village. And it was great. Whether it was because it was my second Olympics, because I also had Dom, my husband, there as coach, or it was everything just fell into place. We got to the track and it felt like home from kind of the very beginning. Even when we went in October for the test event, it just felt good and normal. And then <laughs> race day was something else. We got there with an early start on day one, got to the track. There was no one else there apart from the track crew. And it just got into the routine and the, and the rhythm and it was calm. That's probably the best way to describe it. There was like for an event that has so much pressure attached to it, there was none of that. And I was watching everyone around me be super stressed and nervous and all those kind of things. And like the morning of, I was nervous, understandably, but once we got to the track and got into that routine, it was completely fine and fun and I've never felt so calm on a sled, which for an Olympics is, is crazy. That is amazing. That is the pinnacle of most athletes season career is to go to the Olympics and to say that it was calm and seeing everyone's stress. It's obviously value and having experience in, in going to one before. How did the two compare the previous Olympics to, to now? Totally different. And I think part of that is possibly because Dom wasn't competing. 
2018, he was an athlete and he was competing. So there was the stress of watching him compete and then me trying to compete, but also to four years more experienced. I had complete and utter faith in everybody who was around me, despite the fact that three quarters of my team were on opposite sides of the globe. We, I had complete faith in everything and I had complete and utter faith in Dom in the plans that we had set out for the track were going to work. I hadn't really seen times a whole week. That was just how I'd finally figured out and accepted that I didn't need to see times to be comfortable with where, with how things were going to go. And it was just a case of, well, it's all going to be okay. And I'm going to go as fast as I can and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Our field is ridiculously strong at the moment. There's probably 12, maybe 13 of us who could have medaled easily. And quite a few of the girls who would have been medal favorites didn't slide particularly well. I was incredibly surprised to come down and see, like after run one, to be sitting in second. And to be only 200s off the lead was completely not in the <laughs> in the script. I would have been happy with 10th. So as soon as that had happened and after day one, I was like, okay, well, it's better than Pyeongchang, which is all I wanted. And then I could just almost relax even more because it was better than anything else and it was time to have some fun. And I think that's what, at the end of the day, we need to be doing sport for. And I remember the conversations we've been having over the years and there has been times on tour when it hasn't been fun. And we've had many conversations, just pivoting training, like you say, let's not even go to the gym today. Let's do something different. Let's read a book. Let's get away from it because at the end of the day, you need to enjoy it. And I think that just shows the maturity of an athlete on the big occasion. And you mentioned your teams all over the world. I obviously know who's in your team. Quickly run through your team. Okay, so there's you, obviously, based in Brisbane. I'm in the UK. My sprint coach, Rob Elshark, used to be in the UK when I first moved across, but he's Canadian, so he's now back at home in Winnipeg. My sports psych, Rich, is in Brizzy. Basically, the only person who's here is Dom. And for the most part, even though he was my coach last season, he was here and I was on tour. And those people who don't know, obviously, Jackie is Australian, Dom is British, and what's his history in Skeleton? He won bronze in Pyeongchang in Skeleton. I think he was the first male in British male in 70-something years to do it. Wow. Fantastic. So there's a bit of pedigree in your household and a little bit of competition there as well. <laughs> yeah, I win. Both, both on color of World Cup medals and color of Olympic medals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely. And, and that really what shows that like, I'm, I'm working, as you know, with Cedric Dubler, who's a Catholic. He's a dual Olympian. He's going over to World Champs pretty soon. And I'm his head coach at the moment, but we have seven coaches. And they're based all over Brisbane, one in Sydney. But similar thing, I think this type of setup would work for a more mature athlete like yourself where huge amount of trust, huge amount of maturity, you know what you're doing. You just need to touch base with the coaches to make sure everything's running smoothly and just a quick text, what do you think I should do there? Which is quite unique. And then also the other thing that people don't realize is you train by yourself, which yep. is Pretty difficult. Much every single day. Which is difficult. So you imagine when the motivation's low, you're living in UK and there's no sunshine and it's raining and you gotta drag yourself out and do some sprints. We will talk about your gym setup in a moment. 
that it's absolutely fantastic that you're able to do what you did, how you did it, and with minimal funding. So you've got to realize that in Australia, winter sports is a small minnow sport and there's very little funding. So Jackie works hard and Dom works hard and saves what they can to do what they can. And we're going to talk about your prep coming up in a minute as well. So in episode number seven, we spoke about BFR because that's what this is about, how you're using BFR. And rather than going over the same stuff, we're actually doing some more stuff. So really briefly, just to refresh both our memories, how did we use BFR? Gym-based, well, we always speak about how you can reduce the amount of load you can lift. I still advocate higher load lifting than just that 20 to 30%. And there's a fair bit of load goes through your spine through skeleton, doesn't it? Yeah, a lot. Well, you just want to explain a little bit about what you do and the mechanics of how that affects your spine? Yeah. Okay. So basically for those who don't know what skeleton is, which I don't blame you, it's a very, very unique sport. Uh, take a boogie board, run headfirst down a, basically down an ice water slide at over 130k an hour, sometimes closer to 140 with G's of about kind of four to five G going through my head. Now I'm an inch or two off the ice. So for the most part, with my head hanging over the front of the sled. So there's a, a lot of force that goes through my neck, but then my sled weighs 32 kilo, give or take. A lot of the load also comes from carrying one very awkward sled off the track onto the, the truck, which is how we get to and from the start, but then onto the track and lots of loading in and out of cars is where, is where a lot of the, the twisting and the, the load comes from on top of the G-force and then lifting in the gym. Yeah, so here's Jackie, an elite athlete, but she still has issues that, well, not issues, but just factors that we have to consider. And pretty much all skeleton athletes do have some kind of back issues, and especially in females, oh, from, yeah. my, I think it's... from my understanding. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because our sleds are not, not only heavy, they're also really awkward to try and carry. I've figured out that for me, carrying it like a backpack, whilst it looks a little bit uncoordinated, is by far and away the best way to, to carry that thing around. Otherwise, you're trying to carry 32 kilo onto one arm and then balance it out on the other side. It's not great. No, no. So we're decreasing load going through the spine. We're being a little bit smart with how we load our body. There's actually some really nice evidence around lifting at 70 to 80% squatting in peer-reviewed journals if you want proof, but the proof is here in front of me. The other one was around the use of it in poor facilities, in particular... I still remember the photo you sent me when you were in Pyeongchang of the gym. Do you want to just briefly explain that one? Oh, actually, the gym in Pyeongchang was hectic. It was tiny. So the in Pyeongchang, we were in, in the main village and it was just rammed constantly with people. So trying to get any equipment at any time of the day was just not an option. And then in... Beijing, <laughs> we went in with a bit of a plan knowing that I wasn't going to touch any of the gym equipment anyway. So Beijing, we lifted in our little storage crate under, like in the basement in the building. So you imagined it was a pretty much an empty, looked like a concrete bunker from the photos I got. But, uh, yeah, with, with like, with temporary walls. Oh, temporary walls. Okay. Yeah. So what Jackie was able to do whenever she had poor facilities and sometimes she's traveling to countries where 
the facilities aren't great, believe it or not. So she can quickly pivot her sessions and do using bands and BFR, quick one-off sessions here and there. The other two ones that we would do or she would do is that by the case you get the text message going, I'm absolutely exhausted. So we would use EMS or complex type system and BFR for more like just to keep the body going. And the other one was tendon issues. And I've spoken a lot about that in all my work around decreasing joint and tendon pain and in particular Achilles tendon issues that Jackie would have as well. Being able to put them on the legs and still do the calf work and really dampen that acute tendon issue has been fantastic. So there's some real basic uses. We're using it on top of lifting heavy because at the end of the day, when I train Jackie, she's like an elite sprinter, but she's instead of running vertically, she's running horizontally and then head first. And so I'm thinking I want her to be as strong and as powerful as possible. And if you look towards the research out there, you need to be lifting 80% of RM, you need to be doing your power work, your plyometric work. Now, if we work chronologically, everything's going really well, got access to really good facilities. And then as we know, COVID hit. And around the world in particular, all those gym lovers out there, all the gyms of the world shut down. And if you didn't have a piece of equipment, it probably increased in value tenfold instantaneously (laughs) and you just couldn't buy it. So let's just fast forward now we're we're training really well we're getting ready for our next olympics COVID hits what are we doing we are in a two-bedroom flat in bath where our living room is dom's office my gym our dining area and a living room with no access to a gym and no equipment aside from bands so all we've got is bands BFR cuffs, obviously, some tie-down straps that you would typically use when you're traveling to tie stuff down, and backpacks. And during this period of time, a little bit of background as to how we got to what, hopefully she alludes to what she was doing, is, is that I'm quite lucky in my garage, I've got an okay gym, I've got enough weight, and I'm just doing my normal sessions. And everyone's talking about the advantages of isometric training where you're pushing against an immovable object or you just can't move anything. There's been a lot of research around the benefits of isometric training. And I just thought, well, hang on. Well, if I believe that there's some value in swapping out the mechanical stress or the load of a bar and substituting it with the metabolic stress of BFR, there's got to be something there. And there was a little bit of a lag, I think, with the COVID shutdowns. We were shut down in Australia before you were. And so there was some really great presentations. Alex Natira was one about how he was using tie-down straps and pushing against it using knee, hip, calf-dominant exercises. And then there was some work on long duration, isometrics, some people doing some really good plyometric work. And like all good power athletes, they love the supersetting of a strength with a plyometric exercise. So I, at home, I was devising up some training plans and I had a, how to get strong and powerful with no more than 40 kilos. So I limited with how much weight I would use and I love lifting heavy weight. I was able to, with some very simple testing pieces of equipment, tape measure, medicine ball, I was able to measure the velocity of a bar at home. I was actually able to collect data. And one thing I noticed is that I was able to 
Uh, this is supposed to be about you, not about me. <laughs> anyway, so one thing I noticed is that I lost my top end. So my one RM disappeared. So I couldn't bench my big, big weights, but all my submax velocities were really good. The other advantage was that I felt really great the next day. I didn't have that usual, you know, when you, you lift really heavy, you got those, all your tendons and your junctions where everything attaches is really sore. So I thought, hey, I tell you what, Jackie, I've got something that I think is going to work for you as I normally do. So over to you, just a brief explanation about what you were thinking when I was giving you all these crazy things to do. The benefit was that at least I'd, I'd known that, or I knew that you'd gone through it. So if you were willing to, to do it to yourself, then it was clearly going to work. And at that point, I didn't really care what I was doing. It was just a case of I need to do something. And mostly for like for mental and to keep me occupied because I wasn't working Dom was and I was going crazy so it was nice to do something however those sessions were incredibly painful because isometrics hurt to begin with and then you add BFR and <laughs> I don't deal with lactic particularly well so it's, it's been a while since I've had to, had to deal with that but between those gym sessions and then when I was out sprinting it was a great summer. And when I finally did get, get to go on tour, I think my first and only World Cup for the year, I pushed a PB immediately, which kind of just, just proved to us that I don't need to lift heavy. I wasn't sore the whole time. All right, it did kind of get a little bit monotonous, but I was in a two-bedroom flat. Like it was always going to get, <laughs> that was always going to be part of it. And even when, when we moved it to a house, it was good. It also meant that I didn't have to go outside in the rain. I could, I could do it inside. It was great. Yeah, I think that's also key there. If someone's listening and you're not an Olympian, the key point there, and one thing that I advocate is just the advantages of exercise. You just feel great, especially during COVID. There were so many people that spoke about that mental aspect. Yeah, it, it gave me a bit of a routine, which was saving, I guess. And it was quick too. Like gym sessions usually take kind of at least an hour and a half, if not closer to two hours. So by doing the isometric stuff, we just, we crammed so much work into like an hour. It's great. Yeah. And that's the advantage of isometrics. And if you're wondering why I'm adding load to the body or to the system is that when you do isometrics, when you read a lot of information, they're just talking about you're holding your body weight or you're pushing against an immovable object, hence the tie down strap, because we haven't got any bars at this stage. But where you get the real performance benefits is you actually need to add load to the body, external load. So if you haven't got a barbell, you haven't got weights, we need to create it through BFR. And or alternatively, she had some training bands. So she would be doing like a single leg squat or a step up and there would be cuffs on her legs, band from one leg up around her shoulder and we got to the stage where I said, well, we need to keep stressing the system. So we were filling up backpacks full of weight. And I remember watching you over the internet training and you'd be like, sometimes the hardest part of the session was getting the backpack on your back. Yeah, that was the most awkward thing ever. Getting bands on and off can be a little bit painful, but... At least you can pull them as not too bad. Whereas, yeah, getting a 20 kilo backpack on, that's not designed. Like, it's not like it was a weight vest that was designed to hold that amount of weight. It was a normal backpack that was trying to, <laughs> trying to get it on and then get the straps on as well. It was, it was interesting. 
Yeah, so we def- did it. yeah, and also the ingenuity, some of the hamstring work that we were trying to do, because there was no Swiss ball in your house. There's no, you haven't got any slides. So all of a sudden, out comes the skeleton sled, your training sled, which has wheels. So you think about, again, the boogie board, but with rollerblade wheels. Yep. All of a sudden, you have something that slides on the ground, and she's there laying on her back heels on it and just bending at her knees, doing some hamstring curls. I was just like, how good is this? And I think that's been one of the, the good things about, well, not the very little good things about COVID, but it's the amount of ingenuity that people have had to exhibit during this time has been absolutely amazing. I think it also, like with the, the ingenuity in that summer, it also gave us a confidence. So with the last winter leading to Beijing, we knew it had worked. We had a formula that we could then go, and used throughout the season where I wasn't lifting because we were avoiding the entire population and as many sliding athletes as we could possibly avoid. So all of my gym sessions on tour were pretty much in either in a completely abandoned basement with maybe one friend or in my living room because it was the only way to get things done safely. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, even as a strength coach, my background used to be throws and it was all about how much you could lift and it's really changed how I viewed what our role as a strength coach is in that at the end of the day it's about how fast you run it's about how far you can jump how far you can throw in some events yes you need a high level of strength but if your gym is something that prevents you from going out and doing your sport training and executing skill well I actually think your strength coach is doing a disservice to the athlete or to you as an athlete. And for you then to go out, first race out and come out and push in a start PB was going, well, I knew I was confident it would work, but to see it actually work in action with, you are not only one athlete, you are several athletes. There was another athlete, Ash Maloney, decathlete. So I got these two decathletes, Cedric and Ash. Now, Cedric's got this wonderful plyometric quality. When he lands, he just pings off the ground. Ash is a bit more a bit more grunt. But we did this similar type of training and supersetted a lot of plyometric work And because he wasn't doing as much running and skill work. And his jump values came up to par with Cedric's. So just having that ability to train these qualities without dampening your response by lifting heavy things has been fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was nice to get some recovery into, like, sometimes on tour, if I'm tired, gym's the first thing that gets cut. So to be able to get in, get a session done, like, they were they were quite short sessions, I get a session done in half an hour and know that I wasn't going to be exhausted the next day. It was just, okay, quick, done, hit the key areas, and then day over, go to bed. It was great. Yeah, time's the valuable thing because you think about a gym session, even on tour, you still have to travel somewhere. So think about 20 minutes, 30 minutes, travel time, get out of the car, get into the gym, set yourself up. This is literally, you're in your room, you're setting a few bits of equipment up, something sturdy that you can jump off potentially or step up onto, and then away you go. And as you said, within 30 minutes, you're done and dusted. Massive advantage with this type of training. Great for quarantine too. The two weeks I was in quarantine in Korea. It was great for that. Yeah, definitely. And so what would consequently happen, as you can imagine now, is is that Jackie's traveling around the world with options in her toolbox that if we had a gym, 
we would typically try and have more of a normal gym type session, partly because that's probably more enjoyable. But at any time she said, I don't want to go to the gym, we'd flip it and we would both know that her performance would not be at all compromised. I think that's pretty unique position to be in. I don't think many athletes would be able to say, well, if I pick these three gym sessions, I'm going to be okay. It's quite unique. Yeah, it's also, it was very comforting for me having coaches who were willing to flip the script and, and not do the normal, the done thing because that's how, it, that's how it's always been. Therefore, that, that's how we have to do it. Whereas that wasn't going to work. So they, you were great with trying to get things, like just let's just get things done somehow. And it doesn't matter how we get it done. It just needs to, we just need to stimulate your body somehow. And then even Rob being like, whatever, it's going to be fine. Yeah. As long as you're running and you're, and you're lifting in some capacity, it'll be okay. Yeah. Now, flipping a little bit, you decided to try a couple of different things because you could. You wanted to try some surfing. I think it was your second session. I got a text message. What happened? So what were we? We were two months, I think, from flying out to Beijing, maybe slightly more than that. And I was surfing in Wales and I came off my surfboard, felt my knee, my, felt my left knee pop and immediately thought I'd just completely ruined my entire Olympics. Thankfully, it was only a, it was a high grade tear, but it was only a partial tear of my medial ligament. And because I am in a very fortunate position of being in a straight line sport, we didn't have to do as much of the rehab and everyone was like, yeah, our head physio at OWI, you rob like okay whatever pain you can manage we just keep need to keep you running in a straight line we'll strap it up we'll ice it we'll chuck you in it however big of a knee brace we need to get we need to put you in and you'll be fine it's gonna hurt but <laughs> you'll be fine yeah so consequently <laughs> you know this is how simple the programming was it was like well we're looking like in an ideal world jackie this is the six exercises I'd love you to do. And you would just write a comment, I can't do this. And so I say, okay, well, if you can't do this, this is one regression back. This, you do this exercise. And you say, I can't do that either. Well, let's keep moving back until you do something. And obviously, once again, you're using BFR because it's great for joints and tendons. It's great. I think it's actually great for healing, full stop. I think what was fantastic is that we're just continually trying things. And that's the key for anyone rehabbing from any injury, in my belief, is, is that it's not rest. It's actually, you've got to move, but move without pain. Yeah, those the, the cuffs were definitely a lifesaver. Just to, I think that the sessions that, that I did with them on, whilst there might have been a, a little bit of pain there, I, the range was, was so much better. Yeah, usually when you're injured, you have inflammation, you have inhibition of muscles. So things don't move like they should. So although it was a ligament injury, you still had issues with quad and, and just pain. And so if you have pain, you have inhibition. If you have inhibition, you don't have great activation. And therefore, we're able to, with the cuffs, decrease the pain, actually able to increase activation. And then all of a sudden, you've got this range that, oh, geez, I didn't have that a moment ago. And, and st stability as well, like, because my, my quads were then activating properly, I then had the trust that it was going to be stable enough to do step-ups or to, to squat or whatever I was supposed to be doing. 
Yeah, definitely. And so it's really simple how we use it. No magic secret sauce that we were putting on it, but it was just being smart about using the tools that we had in our toolbox. Now, that's probably the new additions that we gave to it, an unfortunate injury two months out. Your preparation was slightly different. Normally, you would go on tour and you come backwards and forwards. You approach the Olympics, you're going to do a little bit something different. What did you do? Cool. <laughs> The last season, we yeah, like we avoided everybody. I bought a whole bunch of gym equipment. So I bought a bar. I bought 160, I think it was kilo worth of weight, a couple of workhorses to use as squat <laughs> squat stands, and then lifted on my driveway. And I bought a tent too because after time that was a required <laughs> addition. So lifting in like a two by three meter kind of gazebo thing in the rain on the driveway to avoid the entire population. But it also meant that like prior to, to getting all the weight last summer, we were restricted in Bath with the amount of time we were allowed to be in the gym. We were only supposed to be in the gym for an hour. I pushed it to an hour and a half because I was like, mm, please come on. <laughs> and th they were okay with it. But I felt rushed. The entire session was always, I need to keep going. I need to keep going. I need to keep going and get this done as much as possible. Whereas by having my own stuff here, a, it meant that I could avoid students and everybody, but it also meant that I could take my time and not rush everything. It, the downside was that there were a few things that we then couldn't do. Like I didn't have a prowler, so they're pushing anything that's non-existent really, aside from the sled. But then it simplified things too, I think, which I quite liked. Yeah, definitely. I would regularly get WhatsApp vision of certain lifts, still get it now. On a nice sunny day, as, as Jackie alluded to, she's in a driveway, sun's out, sun is on, and she's lifting. It looks fantastic. And when the weather's bad, the tent's out, and she's lifting in this tent. So just a testament to all the hard work. And she said just the simplicity. So I've gone from programming with every bit of equipment possible. And leg press is probably a machine that a lot of skeleton athletes use heavily because it was able to lift a heavy load, that stress, that external mechanical stress but without having to put the load through the spine. So we don't have that anymore. But having a bar, a box, the ingenuity of a couple of workhorses and some weight just meant we're able to not have to rely on the bands, the isometric straps. We still did do elements of that. But even then, I'd be continually writing notes saying, well, you need to do your calf eccentric work. You need to load the system up there'd be notes of you could try hold the end of the bar, one end of the bar with no weight hanging on the ground. You might need to put a tennis ball on the end to protect the end, but you need to hold on the bar with some weight. And I would just give suggestions. I'd be continually thinking about if I only had a bar, some weight and a rack, how could I be training? So I'm constantly thinking of exercises and adaptations and we just kept adapting. Yeah. Sorry about that. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I, I made your life difficult at times. No, because that's how I like to work. I just enjoy thinking and I'll just go into the gym and just tinker away and come up with a solution. And I think just the simplicity, I think that's what it shows is that if you just keep it simple and work hard, the cream rises to the top. Weather the world of the way. Definitely. The other difference was is the season leading into Beijing, you based yourself in Asia for a long time. Normally you would travel over, do a small stint, come back. You sacrificed so much. You spent how long in Asia sliding? 
including quarantine, I was in Korea for three, three months. Yeah, so a quarter of the year away from everyone, but just focusing on your craft. How was that? The best decision I could have made, hands down. I was stressed about going on tour last year. It was okay for the bigger teams who have managers and who have coaches and support staff to and COVID offices to figure out which countries were shutting and then do all the logistics around that. I was going to have to be, as usual, coach, athlete, physio, manager, plus COVID officer, which on a World Cup season, like that's just, that's far too much for an athlete to be trying to figure out on top of trying to compete. So we delayed going on tour and delayed it and delayed it and delayed it. I did one World Cup, which is my only week on ice. So I got to, to Eagles in Austria the second week of December, I think it was. Maybe, yeah, between the second week of December. My first runs for the season was OT1, the day one of official training for the World Cup. I did five runs, I raced, and then the following day I flew from Munich to Pyeongchang, or to Seoul, straight into two weeks of quarantine. Such So much fun. And then, yeah, I spent the next three months sliding in Korea and to have the chance to just sit and slide. And because of the time zone, I was so far removed from what everybody else was doing, how they were going, how they were racing, social media, the whole thing, like the comparison just disappeared, which was awesome. I also just got to learn and tinker with the really tiny things that you can work on in preseason to a certain extent, but come race day, you're just trying to go fast. So I was able to, to push. There's a nice house in, in Pyeongchang. I got to push like two or three times a week, plus sliding five days a week, except for when it was minus 30 and the pipes froze. Yeah. Or there was a blizzard and Koreans don't deal particularly well with snow, despite being a previous host of the Winter Olympics. They didn't deal particularly well with it. So training was cancelled. They did eventually build a gym, which was brilliant. And yeah, it was just nice to sit with some Aussies and train. And be in a similar time zone to Oz. <laughs> yeah, that was actually really handy. For me as a coach, it was continually going, well, what's the purpose of your three months there? And it was to slide and to ensure that that was the focus. So for me, you know what, your strength's going to take a back seat. But I knew that the gym work that we were doing would actually be able to maintain your qualities without basically exhausting you. Which if COVID hadn't hit and I hadn't gone down this route of using BFR bands and isometrics... I probably would have been scratching my head going, oh, I maybe would have got there eventually. But, you know, I would have been thinking, oh, we've got to be lifting heavy. But now I'm going, we don't need to. We just need to do maybe two 30-minute sessions. And, and in fact, mm -hmm. these are your two key exercises. You do that, I'm really happy. Anything else is a bonus. I was really relaxed. And I was just like, just slide. That was the key. That then filtered down to me because then I didn't feel the pressure because of the person that I am. I didn't feel the pressure to have to get absolutely every single exercise done, every rep, because I knew that if all those failed, I had two exercises I, need, I needed to get done at quality, and then the rest of it could happen at some other point. Yeah, and just being so flexible. I do remember one story. You flew home for a period of time, and... This is Christmas, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, do you want to tell this story? Yeah, governments are fantastic in the middle of COVID. So... This past Christmas, I was in Germany, and the night before I was due to fly, mum sent me a message saying, are you sure you can get back to the UK? Well, 
I believe so. I don't know what's happening. What have you heard that I haven't? Quick Google. Sure enough, the German government is considering at this point shutting the border back to the UK because the numbers were going completely out of control. I decided, well, that was supposed to make a decision Saturday morning. I was flying Saturday kind of lunchtime. Woke up, nothing, no, no decision. Get to the airport, which was four and a half hours away. Still no decision. Messaging Chris and Rob, being like, do I get on this plane? What on earth am I doing? And <laughs> everyone was like, no, get on the plane, go home. Worst case scenario, you see your husband and the puppy for like 24 hours. Get home, we can make a decision from there. Wake up the following morning to BBC breakfast saying, Germany's closing the border at midnight tonight. Like, oh, good. <laughs> so in the space of about two and a half hours, I got jabbed, booster jab. I got a COVID test and I booked a flight back to, to Europe. It was supposed to be out of Bristol going straight into Frankfurt. We leave for the airport, get a text from KLM, your flight's been cancelled. Oh, good. Okay, I need to leave the country ASAP because despite the fact that everyone's saying there'll be sporting exemptions like there had been previously, like I don't trust the government that I'm going to get to Germany's customs in 14 days' time and not be told, you've been in the UK for, for too long, that you've got to quarantine for 14 days. That wasn't an option. Like Those qualifications that had to happen, it was not, <laughs> I was not okay with this. Frantically rang one of my best mates who slides for the Netherlands, rang her like, can I stay at your place? I need to get out of the UK. Just thankfully she was like, yep, sure, no worries, get here. We'll deal with it together when you get here. Managed to get on a flight from Heathrow to Amsterdam, stayed there for a couple of days with Kim, and then got on a train to Frankfurt and spent the next two weeks in Frankfurt. So Christmas on my own, well, with a few, few Aussies, but essentially in a hotel room again. <laughs> training at a car park so much fun just amazing i just remember that story you got home from from overseas relieved made it home excellent and then all of a sudden you know time zones and then you're back on the plane scrambling to get a flight back and and i don't know what stories you told in your other podcast that you give but so many times no one knows the backstories they see they see the front page, you know. You see, you know the wonderful achievements that you've done, which is fantastic. But the amount of work that you did behind the scenes that led to the to the medal was unbelievable, unbelievable. <laughs> and a lot of this too was because I didn't have a team around me, like in terms of in terms of managers and and national coaches or whatever. I am my team essentially particularly when it comes to logistics of, of getting me getting me around the world. I was nervous about coming home for Christmas anyway because numbers were skyrocketing. In the end, I kind of got what I wished for, but I wish they'd made the decision when they were supposed to make the decision. Then, it, then I just wouldn't have gotten the plane in the first place, yeah. which would have been a lot less stressed. But hey. But it would have made a wonderful story. But uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> So um, yeah, we, we we've, could we've got some good stories out of yeah we could talk forever but we're coming up to the hour and and I do thank you for your time as I said Jackie and I go a fair way back as terms of athlete coach but also a good friend and to trust me as a coach it's nice it's nice to be trusted but to have a relationship with, with an athlete that 
we just talk things through and say, well, what about this and what about that? And when there's something so definite, I say, no, it has to be done like this. Trust me 100%. But when there's a level of negotiation, I love it when you come up with ideas. And it's always a pleasure working with you, Jack. And it's been good that you've you've stuck with there was a time there where I was getting a bit slack with you and you stuck with me. I still remember that. And I said, you've just got to give me a program, Chris, that first few times when you went overseas. And I, I need to see things. I need to be in touch with the athlete. And I didn't have that anymore. And I, I struggled to be honest, but you stuck with me and thank you for that. And I've come on the other side and, and now it's easy. Yeah, that first season of, okay, I'm going away for the next five months. We need to figure out a way for me to have gym programs without you being by my side. Because as much as I would love for you to come, it's not an option. No. So if anyone want to know how did we do it, we used Google OneDrive. So we just uploading stuff. And at times we would be talking over the internet, creating the gym program in front of it. It was a basic framework that had a level of flexibility. And WhatsApp, you just shoot some vision. I'd make a comment. You go backwards and forwards and technically you lifted really well anyway. So there's very little work we had to do there. So as we wrap up, you're up to exciting things. If people want to follow you, where are they going to follow you? Instagram's probably the best place. I've got the other platforms, but I don't tend to use it all that often. So at Jack, J-A-C underscore Narricot is my Instagram handle. That's the best place for puppy spam and a bit of surfing, a bit of interior design, a bit of training. And terrible UK weather. Yeah, and and you're doing an interior design course as well? Yep, finished that when I got home from the Olympics, finally. That was supposed to happen pre-Olympics, but hey, things happen. Uh, So done that. And then, yeah, just trying to figure out, well, trying to get that started while it's also going back to North America this year. Finally. Yeah, fantastic. So it'll be good to see you do a few comps on the tour this year. Looking forward to seeing your progress there. So make sure you give her a follow and give her a shout out because one of the hardest working athletes I've ever worked with and, and definitely deserves every single accolade. Thanks again for your time and I'll be talking to you soon. Thank you. And that's all today for this episode of BFR Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember to catch up on lots of great BFR training content on our Instagram page, which is at thebfr.co, or alternatively on Twitter, which is at thebfr underscore co. For more information and to order your own set of BFR cuffs, please visit our website, which is www.thebfr.co. Thanks for listening, and remember to keep the pump.